Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Let's get out of here. Oh, before we go, because I'm upset that this is the final Honda Classic. That just bothers me. Now, at the end of this, I know you won't watch it, but at any point did someone say, I'm going to wake you up early because I'm going to take a ride with you? We're going down to the Honda shop. I'll tell you what we're going to do. Put on a ragged sweatshirt. I'll take you any place you want me to. First gear. It's all right. Second gear, lean right. Third gear, hold on tight. It's little Honda by the Beach Boys. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. It's a curse and a blessing. I, I know the words to everything written that was popular between 1961 and 1972. There's nothing I can do about it. Nothing. Zero. And but that, I know them. That song haunted you in particular, did it not? I sang it to myself all night for two nights, <laughs> little Honda. Yeah, because you didn't even know that Honda made motorcycles. Uh, I, it's not years a ago, motorcycle. It's a groovy little motorbike. Motorbike, it's yes. more fun than a barrel of monkeys. That two wheel bike. I guess when I first heard the song, I did I'm not know turn that. on my light and we can ride my Honda all night. It's just <laughs> nuts. I can't get it out of my head. Great song. Gregory Thomas Garcia, board op extraordinaire, is sitting with us today. At some point, we will ask him a lot of questions about his own life. But at the open, we sort of talk about my life, and and something happened within the last twenty minutes when Greg came in the door. That changed my life, or potentially, as a potential changed my life. As Michael can tell you, um, I wore the same pair of New Balance sneakers for eight or nine months every single day. I'm in a new pair now that I bought myself in Delaware about a year ago, and I'm not crazy about them. And, and the New Balance sneakers got to be so ripped up that I had to get rid of them. And Michael, you, you said to me, because I said my instinct is let's get our guy Kirk Taylor who works for New Balance Sure, to give me a box of that for free because that's my instinct. What can I tell you? That's what I want to do. But I want that exact sneaker. What is Right, the- you want the 990D V5. Right. Is that a new sneaker or an old sneaker? Uh, so the 990D, I think, original is the, the sort of the dad sneaker that we all remember. This is a newer version that has thicker cushioning. And uh, I think I said to you, pull out the credit card, Grandpa Tony. I'll go drive over to Dick's Sporting Goods and, and get you a new you pair. I like you were from the moon. Ten and a half medium. <laughs> not doing that. I see, how the, I see where this game is going. Right. That's, again, ten and a half medium. Right, so Kirk Taylor. So I even in, last night at the end of PTI, I went, Kirk Taylor, call me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and this is what I'm getting to. I went, Kirk Taylor, call me, and then I said, New Balance. And Wilbon, after the show, says, oh, no, no, no. No, you got to get Hoka. And I thought he said Hoda, like Hoda Kotby. And I don't know what Hoka is. And dropping down from the skies is Greg wearing Hokas. Yeah. What? Can you explain this? Well, I had problems with my toes, right? My big toes had some kind of bone spurs or arthritis or something. And I went to the doctor and he said, well, you can get surgery at some point, but try these shoes. This was like four or five years ago. Try these shoes. And he called them Hoka One Ones. But I guess they're just they're not Yeezys, now. though. No, because you can get Yeezys for next to nothing right now. I can drive down the street to his, <laughs> to his house and get them. <laughs> I, no, I, I kid you not. One time he was on the corner, like a lemonade stand, selling Yeezys. Like two for one. Yeah, and they were taking pictures for Instagram and stuff, and it was their whole family. It was all the Kardashians, him when he was still with her and everything, just driving down the, the street and like a lemonade stand. Kanye West was selling shoes <laughs> on the corner. Just it was bonkers, <laughs> bonkers. 
Um, I sent my son down there to get a picture. Um, but anyways, yeah, so he, I'd never heard of the shoe, and I went on the website to buy them, and um, they only had like two pairs, uh, two different kinds, and they were so hideously ugly. But I got them, and my family made fun of me, and they give you like two inches of height. I mean, it's just like, it's ridiculous. And they're so comfortable, and they're sturdy, so it wouldn't, my toe wouldn't bend as much. And I loved them, and my toes felt better. And then over the years, they've gotten more and more styles and now they have all it's kinds the of official stuff. shoe of the second home now yeah it's it's like when i went You've to pittsburgh to shoot the whole crew had them the yeah whole so crew I, had them. I first Everybody heard about these on their feet had you them. traveled any golf course and you always see what the caddies are wearing so well, if they you traveled to through florida you'd see them wearing these hokas uh so liz now has a pair of these they're the most recognizable colors but if you go back a couple years ago everyone used to be wearing the Allbirds. Uh, two or three years ago, it was all about the on running shoes the, the no tie laces which i'm wearing myself and now it's all about the hokas and I'd never heard of it. And it makes sense for Wilbon because Wilbon's had foot troubles. Wilbon's right. had operations yes. on both feet. So somebody, Wilbon wouldn't have known Hoka on his own, I wouldn't think. Somebody must have recommended them. And you endorsed them yeah, fully. Yeah, I love them. And my wife has like ankle problems. She has them, loves them. My son has an ankle problem. He has them, loves them. Yeah. Are they domestic made? Are they foreign made? Do you know anything about the company? Hoka One One. Is that Hawaiian? I don't know. I don't know much about the company other than I wish it I would sound, have invested it in it. It sounds like Ico Ico on day. Yes, it does. <laughs> you know, Chacomofino on on day. We need a hookup is what we need. we need. Well, that's why I'm doing yes, the open. Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, we need. I mean, my instinct is the same as Steve Young's. Send me a big box of that. I'm looking here on Wikipedia, so we know it's got to be true. Right. Uh, Hoka 1 1. Stylizes Hoka. Well, that's Oni Oni. That's, that's what the doctor oh, said. Oni Oni. Maybe okay. he was trying to be fancy. Right. Oh, and not uh, say Hoka One One. Is an athletic like four one one like nine one? Four Oni Oni. Well, you got to call nine Oni Oni if you have a problem. Yeah, I mean, come on, Look, come on. Where are uh, you living? It's an athletic shoe company originating in France. In France. Huh. Yes. So I've found never it. Nicholas Mermoud and Jean Luc Diard. So if you're listening, phony names. hopefully they're little. <laughs> yeah, those are total phony names. They've been on with Chuck and Roxy. So, up there, so yeah. where am I? 30. Where am I on the uh, on New Balance? Am I? Am I? Is that another proof that I'm a tremendously old man because I like New Balance because they're wide and they're good for old flat feet? Uh, no, you have to be careful with that one. There is a there is a famous New Balance meme that just shows your shoes in various stages of decay, decrepitude. Uh, it goes as, from the dog. As am I. The the you know you'll. Do errands around the you know, around the neighborhood. Then you do the the car washing shoe or the cutting the grass. Well, when I got to the point where I could poke my big toe through the shoe on each side, I knew that the shoe had to go. But my larger point too is, you found a shoe that helps stabilize whatever pain is going through your body. You should probably lean into that and get a couple of pairs. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. I mean, when I was a kid, well, everybody wore Chuck Taylors, Chucks, you know, the Converse sneaker, yeah. and you wore them, you. You know, you weren't allowed... When I went to high school, it's a long time ago, I grant you, girls were not allowed to wear pants to school and nobody could wear sneakers. And nobody even rebelled against this because it's okay, what's the difference? Girls were just naked from the waist down? (laughs) they had to wear... That would have been interesting. No, they had to wear skirts. Oh, okay. Or shorts, skirts or shorts, but they had to, you know... These were rules that went on, and this was a public school. Not in parochial schools, people wore uniforms. I guess they still do. I'm not certain about that. But girls could not wear pants. I mean, that was no. Teachers didn't do that. Teachers like they wore dresses. 
Yeah. Like the women, not all the men. Yeah. The, the female teachers wore dresses. The men wore jackets and ties and suits and stuff like that. School was a, I'm not going to say it's a formal experience in, in the sense that you had to sit there and somebody wrapped your knuckles or anything like that. But then when you went to school in the same way, and you see this in old pictures all the time, when you went to a sporting event, you didn't wear a t-shirt no, and a pair of up. shorts. Well, you didn't necessarily dress up, but you dressed like you would for the rest of the day, or you might have dressed up. When you went to a Broadway show, you did dress up. Mm-hmm. You know, like even Margaritaville, people would have 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they would have worn jackets and ties, even though everything about that show said relax and yeah. be casual. They would still be dressed up. Did you do that? Was that true? You're, you're younger than I by a lot. Did your high school no, let girls wear pr- pants? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think they let them wear pants. Did you? Did yours? I went to high school in the 2000s. Yes, <laughs> I the girls were allowed to wear pants. <laughs> well, yeah, well, well, you uh, went to you went to private school. Uh, yeah, went to at St. George's. Yeah, we, did you have girls? We did have girls. <laughs> yes, and I, I think they wore pants. I don't think they were. There was no specific uniform for them. But the boys, I know, we had to wear coat and tie every day. So this is one. Yeah. Of, this is. Uh, I'm not unfamiliar with that. Jeans were not allowed. <laughs> when at I all. see people, this is another thing too, and. Uh, Greg, as you go, you and Nigel are around the same age. People, when they went to a nice restaurant, they put on clothes to go to a nice restaurant. Mm-hmm. And now, pajamas. Well, now it's not. Am yeah. I right? Flip flops, pajama pants. What is that like it, in California? California very is the bastion of casualness. Yeah, it's very casual. Very casual. Does anybody dress for anything? I mean, it's casual, but it's not like sloppy casual. You know, right. I mean, it's more just you know, it's 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 nicer casual. So it's Johnny O most. type stuff. Johnny O type stuff, absolutely. Yeah, especially at the beach. Yeah, it's just it's, but it's it's definitely casual. You never go, oh, we can't go. Like we were dropping my kid off at uh, high school uh, last week, and we were in this little town, Los Olivos, which is kind of like a wine country town and stuff. And we're like, let's go to this restaurant. It's an amazing restaurant. And normally, I would think we're not dressed. For this restaurant, but no, it's very just casual and laid back. That has changed. So That's those changed the in the last twenty years. Those are the standards we're trying to get over here because for years you've had dress codes uh, for restaurants and other sort of night institutions. But you always wonder, well, whose standards are those? Uh, but culturally, so like just because you think coat and tie is dressing up or nice, it could be a really nice uh, sweatsuit or you know really nice shoes. A really nice sweatsuit. Yeah. Well, Depending no, on design it, no, it actually yeah. can't be a really yes. nice sweatsuit. Or like an that's Al what Davis. Wilbon wears really nice sweatsuits to fly. I still, at my age, jacket, I, and I know that. Well, no, not necessarily jacket. I know I've eaten at the Palm ten thousand times, and I know that I can walk in here wearing whatever I'm wearing. But I don't. If I'm going out, I wear going out clothes because I'm so old. Because that's what I grew up with. Do you think some of that's the armor of Tony Kornheiser, who's on PTI every day? Tony Kornheiser, who was with the Washington Post, where if you go around the city or to a restaurant, people expect to see you look in a certain way? Maybe, subconsciously. But I'm talking about the conscious part of the decision. And I don't think it's... Maybe, yeah. You don't want to be wandering around in pajama pants. <laughs> no, I really don't. Or <laughs> a fancy sweatsuit. <laughs> if I'm in a fancy sweatsuit walking down the street, I expect to be picked up and taken to a mental institution. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's just not... It's not I don't me. get that on the plane. Is it people in the pajamas and the? It's just ridiculous. I do dress off. comfortable on a plane because I'm have to sit there. Um, uh, but, but well, I if you go get... private, 
you can wear what you want, but you still wouldn't, right? You'd still no. But I I don't normally fly. I mean, well, I rarely. I, yeah, but he, but the, I mean, I, the thought that should go up per, through a person's head is very simply this: when I get off this plane, what if there are cameras? Yeah. What if, you know? Oh, yeah. What if it's paparazzi? What if it's what's that show that does that all the time? TMZ. TMZ. What if TMZ is waiting for somebody else? Yeah. And then they see me. And I there's, can't. There's no. always that terrible photo, and they're like Tony Kornheiser looking a little out of it as he walks, you know, whatever. And you're it's like, the Nick Nolte photo. <laughs> yes. You can't have no. the Nick Nolte photo. Plus, on the way here, I you know, on the flight here, I'm sitting next to Washington Commander Milo Eifler. My favorite Washington commander, and I got to look good. <laughs> never. He's Milo. a linebacker. Never heard of him. He's amazing. Now, we'll get into Greg's life when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast you're listening to the tony kornheiser show could be sciatica herniated disc lumbago bertolotti syndrome I can barely move Glad I don't have any Hair I'd have to comb Well it's a shooting pain A sharp shooting pain Called time out Pull me from the game I'm doubled over Hobbled Lame It's a solo stove of flame But good lake went bad <laughs> I never thought it <laughs> I'll try acupuncture, acupressure, chiropractic, laparoscopy, rough me, whatever you could. But good leg went bad. Now I'm waiting for my bad leg to go good. But good leg went bad. Now I'm waiting for my bad leg to go good. It says simply to Matt in Atlanta, challenge accepted. <laughs> Dan Byrne. He's a genius. Yep, he He's really a is. genius. It all, but it sometimes makes me wonder, is he devoting time to his actual career? You know, I mean, or is he just listening to this show and writing things for us? Seems Rather amazing. Yes. 
He's an incredibly creative guy. He is. And Which leads me to Greg. What are you working on? What are you, what are you doing here? Uh, Why'd you come in? Oh, I'm here just to visit family. Okay. Just to hang out. Um, yeah, and talk about doing nothing but listening to the show and writing stuff into you guys. That's what I've been doing these days. Um, I've been, uh, I'm waiting to hear about Sprung Season 2. They told me about three on weeks. On Freebie. I found Freebie on my television set. Fantastic. I found it. I know where it is. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. I, uh, they told me three weeks ago they'd tell me if there's going to be a season two, but now it's March 1st and I realize they didn't tell me. They told me at the end of the month they would tell me. They didn't tell me which month I'm realizing. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> yeah. Because it's March 1st and I haven't heard anything. So, yeah. So I've been waiting to do that. And uh, you know what I've been doing, which is pretty depressing? pretty sad i've been playing virtual reality poker have you ever put those goggles on your head no no i don't it do is that. the most depressing <laughs> saddest thing in the world i put these things on someone gave me for christmas i put them on i sit at a table it looks like i'm sitting with people at a table i play poker with them i chat with them when Re- you chat with them you can talk with them are I they can smoke, people i can smoke yes they're do you light real a candle people. for the ambiance they're all you can do anything you can smoke a cigar you can do whatever. You can hand somebody they a cigar. They can see you. They see, it's cartoons of you. You make your own cartoon. So you look like whatever you want to look, or avatar, whatever they're called. And then you play poker, and they're from all over the world, and you chat with them, and three hours go by, and I can't look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> they're real people. It's, they're real people. They're real people. And I, you have to have Facebook, right, to, to sign up. And I, I didn't sign I, up for the Facebook. I don't have Facebook, so right? So this is the metaverse. Yes, this is the metaverse. So I don't have Facebook. So so when I went to sign up, on my computer showed a Facebook thing that we had done for the character Earl J. Hickey long ago. And it was still in my computer. It was still active. And I said, okay, we'll just link it to that one. It's no connection to me. So my name on the thing is Earl J. Hickey. So once in a while, somebody will go, hey, Earl J. Hickey, is a good show. You like that show? And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that show, whatever. <laughs> but one time I'm on there and this Australian guy's sitting across from me and I, I'm going to do a terrible Australian accent. But he goes, Earl J. Hickey. All right, man. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, you like that show, man? I go, yeah, yeah. It was a great show. I loved it. He goes, yeah, me too. Me too. I go, oh, you liked it? He goes, liked it. Changed my life. What? <laughs> and I go, what? And he goes, oh, changed my life. I got into some trouble. I was in juvie as a kid, you know, and we'd watch that show, me and the other, my mates, you know, and, and I just realized I wanted to turn my life around like Earl did. I'm a human rights lawyer now. What? Did you ever tell him who you were? This is one of the only times. I said, buddy, I'm about to blow your mind. I said, you're not going <laughs> to, you're not going to believe this, you know? And so I tell him and he's like, oh, are you kidding me, man? And so now he's, he's playing, like, there's only three of us playing and the other guy's being quiet. And now he's asking me all these questions, you know, he's asking me all these while questions about the While you're playing virtual playing. poker. And he's such a fan of the show. I'm folding pocket aces because I don't want to <laughs> knock them out. I'm having more fun <laughs> listening to this guy, right? He's a big fan. It's awesome. Well, eventually the other guy knocks him out. So now it's me and just the other guy and who's just qu- has been quiet the whole time. And then he starts going. So you ever have to work again? <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, 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 I still work. You got children? And I go, all right, I'm out. <laughs> I got out of there. Yeah, it got weird real quick. Oh, yeah, but it's sad. It's sad. I put those things on and then somebody walks in the room and they just shake their head at me and just, it's so pathetic. I got to get back to work. So I really do. do you have anything going on with Nate Bargatze? 
Um, we always now talk golf about- for extraordinaire who oh, took five hundred yeah, yeah, yeah. bucks from Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, yeah, I uh, we were chatting the other day about uh, possibility of doing something. You know, he's he's on tour. He's always busy. I'm always busy. We want to do stuff. He's kind of just become a, a friend at this point. Um, even though we started kind of working on a project together, I came in and helped out on a project. That's how we met. But uh, yeah, there could be something down the road. And I was picking his brain because my middle son just started doing stand up comedy. Wow! Yeah, he just did it for the first time really? uh, last week and uh, or two weeks ago. He's got a show tonight again, and he's he's digging it. So he's happy about that. But first, he's going to hold, he's going to Fiji for three months. He got a job on the show Survivor. He's not on the show. He's no, working he, the show. He, his job is like he's called a dream teamer, and they like him and like twenty other people. They kind of help build the challenges and stuff, but then they have to test the challenges. So they oh. have to see like how long is it going to take, or is that too far to jump? They'll be like, "Hey Nate, jump up! Oh, yep, that's too far." <laughs> yeah, that's right. Broken legs. Yeah. What, what are you giving? We me? got an email about Nate. Oh, um, from Dick Gabriel in Lexington, Kentucky. It always makes me happy to hear you speak of comedian Nate Bargatze. That's because a while back. Nate's father, Stephen, an accomplished comic magician, was a regular in a celebrity golf tournament here in Lexington hosted by the TV station where I used to work. In between magic tricks, Stephen would brag no end about his talented young son who was just getting started with his own career. He predicted many great things, and of course he was right. You may also be interested to know that Nate is a cousin to Ron Bargatze, formerly the head basketball coach at Austin P. Woo! And later a color analyst on the Vanderbilt Radio Network. I didn't know that. I had no idea about that. But I did know, because Nate Bargatze told me that his dad used to do ma- magic tricks in prisons. Yeah. He oh, used wow. to, he, he was the guy who would go to prisons and do magic tricks. And he'll perform with them. They just perform together in Vegas. He's a nice nice guy. When Last time I was there, I, I went uh, to do his podcast, and then he just said, well, just stay at my house for a couple days, um, and then fly back with us. And, he, and then he was going to stay at my house with some comedians. Um, while he played out in Thousand Oaks by my house. I said, okay. So I show up with a suitcase and I walk in his house and his wife's there and I meet her for the first time. And, and, and he goes, what, what room should Greg stay in? And, and she said, oh, Greg's staying with us? And I go, this is, <laughs> nobody announced anything. And right. so then we were going to play golf, but uh, he had to try on clothes for his special. And I ended up just sitting in the living room for six hours. I was like weird Uncle Greg. The daughter's walking through. She's looking at me like, who's this guy? And it, I ended up with the father and the mother at the girls' softball game. I just tagged along for like two days. <laughs> but I had a great time. So Good family. When you work... Yeah. Can you work on multiple things or can you only work on one thing at once? I can. I tend to just work on one thing, uh, one, one thing at once. I kind of get laser focused tunnel vision on something. But sometimes if there's two things to do, I can do it. Like when I was doing the musical, I was doing other things at the same time. So well, just, when, you, when you start to work, yeah. do you dive? Yes. Do you, yeah, what's, what's the day like? My, what's the week like? My process is like if I'm like, I have like ideas that I'm kicking around in my head. So I might go for a bike ride. I might go for a walk. I'm in the car. I'm always talking into my phone with different ideas. And then when I feel like, okay, I know the story. I can sit down. I know the ending to the story. Oh, man, I've been watching so many movies lately that don't have endings. It drives me nuts. Nuts. When you are a writer, when you're writing a big story, the ending it's, you get before the beginning. It's everything. Yeah, the ending. The ending is yes. everything. So when you watch these movies... Bad writers have bad endings. We watched a movie the other night, uh, Triangle of Sadness. Oh, well, is that the Aaron Rodgers story? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a bad movie. It's good. Woody Harrelson's in it. There's funny parts and everything. But then the ending, you're just like, what? what just... And then my son looks up. He goes, well, the director said they asked him about what happened in the last scene. He says he hasn't decided yet. But he, he hasn't decided it? yet. He released it? Yeah. 
It's so artsy. So anyway, when I know that I have something, then I'll sit down and I'll just start. And I'll sometimes sit down at seven in the morning and I won't get up until 3 a.m. Like my right. wife will come in and go right. bring me a sandwich Where and go do walk you work? around. Where in my physically? House. In my house. I have a chair, very comfortable chair that has like a desk, swing desk that And it's away it. from others, right? Yeah, it's in the back of the house. Yeah. Or I'll just go somewhere else and just be alone. But I will write for 14 hours straight and just get done a terrible version of it. And then I'll go back over the next two or three days. Yeah, because the most up. important thing is the structure, right? Yeah, just get you it done. You have to know what the structure is. Get it done. Is. You know, like, okay, this will be funny. I mean, too many people write scripts and then they get bogged down with like, oh, I got to have a great joke in this thing. And then you have a joke that you love, but then you got to cut it because it doesn't work for the rest of it. And all of a sudden, you're, 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 the jokes are controlling the scripts instead of the story. You got to get the story done. So... When we started on WTEM, if I'm not mistaken, it was the week after Memorial Day in 1992. I, okay. I think I have that right. Did you know then, and for how long have you known, this is what I want to do? I didn't know then. I mean, I knew I liked, I kind of liked writing, um, and I'd written some stuff in college. Like, I wrote an um, advice column in college where I would just write the answers, uh, the questions and the answers. Because right, nobody was sending anything in. So, and that way I could control the humor because I knew what the question was right. going to be. And I would set stuff up and whatever. So I enjoyed that a lot. And I had taken a TV writing class. But I didn't. When I started at WTM, I still thought, oh, I'm just going to do... I'm just going to do uh, radio. This is what I'm going to do. And then, lucky enough, uh, Warner Brothers called. You won an internship, Yeah, right? I won like a, a little internship, yeah. So then, I mean, so you, then, were gone, then I, you were there and gone in an hour. You were a hurricane. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't there long. Yeah, a few months. And, uh, and, but, uh, but then once I went out to L.A. and I got a taste for it and saw what these people did and they sat around a table and just told jokes and I was like, okay, I'm going to go take a shot at this. Is there, is there... When they sit around a table and, and tell jokes, is that are they working or is that just who they are naturally? It's like a, at a table read at something like that, is that what that is? No, the table read is when we sit with the actors and, and they read the script and we just listen. And then we're marking our scripts. That joke didn't work. That joke did work. The story kind of feels lame around here, whatever. And then afterwards, the studio and network will give you notes and go, okay, this is what we think. And then you go off and you do a rewrite. Then you're sitting around the table in the room, which now mostly is done by Zoom. Everybody does Zoom rooms now, which I didn't do for Sprung. Instead, we worked in my backyard because I, I couldn't stand doing the, the Zoom stuff. But, um, but then you're sitting around a table. And then it's a combination of you're working, you're not working, you're working. Okay, somebody starts to tell a story. We're all laughing about that. Then you get back to, you know, it's back and forth. And it just keeps things loose. And, and so half the stuff ends up in the script and half the stuff you're like, that could never go in. We couldn't do that, but that's funny. Are there people... And I don't know how this works because I, you know, I, I wrote something other than comedy. Are there people you really trust or do you just trust yourself more than anybody else? No, there's, there's a handful of people that I work with constantly that I really trust. There's a woman named Gina uh, Gary who um, she actually started as an assistant and has worked her way up. And now I can't do anything without her. Like right. she's the first person I give everything to. Her ear is, is what you need. It's fantastic. And what's great about her too, and I have a couple people like this that aren't, that have known me and worked with me so long that they're secure that they're not afraid to tell me you're a moron. Right. This is bad. Right. This is bad. You know, and, and there was, like, in particular, I'd write a story for Sprung uh, or the guest book, I think it was, and I would send it to Gina, and she goes, yeah, this one, it just doesn't make any sense. And I go, okay, and you feel like 
punched in the stomach. You're, oh, yeah, I can fix it. So I work on it another two days and I send it back. And, and I'm like, what do you think? And, and I think most people would feel the pressure at that point to be like, yeah, it's good. And she just said, it's different. It's different than it was before. Right. Still not, not good. great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but but that kind of stuff and those people in your life keep you honest to be like, okay. And the good news is at the end of the day, if you disagree with them, you can always say, No, I'm I'm good with this and you can move on. But so I don't mind having those people in my life who are always gonna be judging me and, and questioning what I'm doing. So when I started out as a writer and I had and everybody who whatever profession anybody goes into that they want to go into, um, they always have an idea that how can I get better? It's important to get better. And I want to know what the people who are good do. I want to know how they run their lives. And I remember reading a story about Truman Capote. And Truman Capote, for whatever else you might think of Truman Capote, in terms of being a slave to Vogue and fashion and and the now and all of that, is a great writer. And everybody knows that he wrote, not Harper Lee, his first cousin, to kill a mockingbird. I mean, this guy's one of the great writers of all time. And I remember reading, he said he got up no matter what day it was, didn't matter. He got up at eight and he worked until four. And if he didn't get a word on the page, it was okay because he needed that sort of discipline. And I tried to do that and it was insane. I couldn't do it. I mean, mine, mine was more like yours. Mine was like a bright light. If I had an idea, I just stayed with it, stayed with it till I fell asleep out of exhaustion. Yeah. You know, I couldn't, I just couldn't let it go. I had, I had a, what I would say charitably is a different kind of discipline, right? That's how you feel about the way you work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the other thing too is people will ask me like, oh, how do you write? How do you become a better writer? And I'm like, I don't, no, I don't how do you know. know. I have no idea. You just, <laughs> I sit down and I do it. I'm sure the more you do it, the better you get and you learn and you learn by your mistakes. And, you know, even when I'm not working on, like I've been writing this thing lately, which I've been recently told that nobody will ever want to publish um, because I'm not anybody, but I've been writing stories from my life and those are fun and it's just exercises to write. And it's, it's a book called Stories I Tell at Parties. And it's just short stories about different things from my life. And even just doing that, like saying, okay, I'm going to write one of these a week. It just keeps the muscle going. I, and, you I know, agree with that. Yeah. And just, just I so used to sit going. down when I was 19 or 20 or 21 and I knew what I wanted to do and I just didn't know how to do it. I used to sit down and I used to take a word, one word, and try to construct 10 or 12 sentences with that word. And, you know, try to be funny or try to be serious. I, I mean, if I could make you laugh and make you cry, I knew I was, I was in. Yeah. You know, the stuff in the middle, nobody really cares about that. Make you laugh, make you cry. I mean, that's, that's the whole deal in writing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, the, for me, the biggest thing is always the story. Even though some audiences with comedies don't even realize how important the story is, that they're drawn in and everything. Because you watch some comedies and there's no story. And it's just characters and jokes. And that works sometimes. But for me, it's always about the story first. And the one thing I tell people is like, don't get distracted. Don't like, when it gets hard, don't just think, okay, well, I'm going to change it to something else. You like stick with it when it's hard. It was, um, I was watching a masterclass with uh, David Mamet and I, I didn't watch the brilliant. whole thing, but brilliant guy. And brilliant. he said something that I go Third back to. Third place is you fired. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my, that, that's my, my basketball, my March Madness basketball pool every year. First place, 5,000 to your charity. Second place, Steak knives. Third place, you're you can't fired. play next year. You're banned. Um, but anyway, what brilliant. he said, which Main was, Street is such oh, a yes. brilliant movie. Yeah. And what he said, which I go back to, which isn't really practical advice that helps you too much except for emotionally, he was saying that when he gets stuck telling a story, when he gets to a place where he has no idea where this is going to go, instead of getting frustrated, he gets excited. 
because he knows that whatever he finally comes up with is going to be a surprise to the audience. Because if he can't think of it yet, they're not going to think of it. And so many times people have said to me, oh, this was so easy to write. And I was like, yeah, because everything seemed expected at every turn. Of course it was easy to write. We'll take a break. Liz Clark will join us and talk all about the Washington football team. I was going to say the other word. I can't say the word. I'm Tony Kornheiser. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is our friend Brett Wiscons. This is from his album Late Bloomer. This is a song called French Cafe Inside a Dream. And he writes, as you might remember, I'll be performing on the Good Vibrations cruise hosted by the Beach Boys. Yes, the actual ones featuring Mike Love and Bruce Johnston. Also appearing will be the Righteous Brothers, the Isley Brothers, the Temptations, and Uncle Jesse himself, John Stamos, good friend of Greg Garcia, among others. We leave out of the Port of Miami this Friday, March 3rd, so that's in two days. What stops in Belize and Mexico, and Tony, I'll see you on the Lido deck. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It's the only cruise I would ever take, and I wouldn't take that cruise. <laughs> it's lovely. The song is lovely. Um, Michael, if people like Brett Wiscons want to send us their original music, how do they do it? As always, send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. And uh, the song plays in Liz Clark, who normally would be sitting with us, but she has to work, and it's, and it's okay. <clears throat> And, and we want to talk, and this has now become, in my mind, this is always a local story, but it has, it's, it's a national story now. As we get closer and closer to the point, to the possibility that, in fact, the other owners in the NFL will say, I've had it with this guy. Let's get him out of here. So let us start with the desire for the indemnification. Indemnification against what? And how did the other owners feel about that, that Dan Snyder has said, this is what I want? Yes. Well, good morning, and thanks for having me. Yeah. So we reported with uh, the fabulous Mark Maskey uh, carrying the load um, earlier this week that Dan Snyder has informed the NFL that he has some demands uh, that they must meet before he sells the team. Chief among them is that they must indemnify him against, you know, any future claims um, and I believe legal expenses uh, in order to sell. And then the, he also wants them to kind of bury the findings of an ongoing investigation. So, you know, he wants to be indemnified, we are told, against any and all future lawsuits. So just to, even, to even those, let me just interrupt notion. for a second. Even sorry, those not necessarily stemming from his ownership of this team? I mean, a blank check for the rest of his life? Well, no. Okay. okay. I speak recklessly. I mean, presumably things um, related to the team. Right. So say okay. the Mary Jo White report uh, comes in and 
and it gives rise to claims of sexual harassment against him or you know there's a claim of defamation there's uh you know i think there's an ongoing lawsuit i I think several about the railing collapse at the stadium um where some fans were injured about the raw Um, sewage down on your head in the suites yeah so that's you know the the team must play there at least four more seasons needless to say no one's going to be spending money on upkeep so you know as the as the thing falls into the ground you know will there be other lawsuits so the whole gamut of ownership-related lawsuits. Oh, for example, maybe a class action suit by people whose uh, season ticket deposits weren't refunded. That's kind of in the process of being sorted out by various attorneys general. And I'm sure there are categories I've not thought of. But basically, he wants, you know, the league to, to, you know, prevent him from having to pay money after he's gone. And the league is outraged. I mean, bordering on laughable. Are you kidding me? Um, I, I should I should not be so melodramatic, but yeah, they don't think this is an appropriate request. In fact, they think. Uh, I mean, some think it's it's he who should be indemnifying us for for any suits against us. But it's not going over well. So I think you could say it, Snyder may have overreached with his demands. Um, this is interesting to me that that he would want this kind of indemnification but it also there may be a larger issue here at least to me he then seems willing to sell the team i never thought we would get to this point i thought that his entire identity was cocooned into owning the washington football team and if he's doing this does this should this lead us to believe that indeed he will sell the team fully? Yeah, boy, God, I wish I could talk with you an hour. Um, your skepticism was right on point. It it is the only reason you know he is known, um, and it was always hard to picture him walking away from it. Yeah. Um, so I it, it, I'm still a little skeptical. Um, could he play out the string another year or two? I mean, what I'm no longer skeptical about is that he will have to sell the team. He'll be parted from the team. Um, there, there's an issue that needs uh, fleshing out, um, and, and Don Van Natta of ESPN did, had a great story about um, a loan that actually we've known about for two years but could never get reported, in, but he got the documents that enabled him to write about that. What I'm getting around to is the issue of debt. There's a good bit of debt on this team that Snyder has taken out. Um, There's an amount of debt that every owner is allowed to have. And the league, if you recall, two years ago, allowed him to borrow an additional Yes, they they gave him that permission. They did that. Yes, that was fine. But that it's like a mortgage. I mean, you have to pay it off. It's not like anybody's giving you this money. It comes due. Um, it certainly comes due much sooner than a 30-year mortgage. And uh, so there's a, a money due the bank. And then he also has to pay it down to get back into NFL compliance. So uh, this comes at a time when local, his revenue, the, the category of local revenue that he doesn't have to share with the league, that's cratering. It's like the bottom has fallen out. Anybody could look at the attendance at a game 
and 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 tell you that. Um, so, and and unlike several owners, Snyder does not have wealth separate from the team. Yeah, it's all in the team. His net worth, the value of the team, it's the same number. It's yeah. not like <clears throat> yeah. value of the team, and then he has oil wells and shopping malls. And no, he's not Jerry Jones. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, interesting. I mean, I guess he could go to Joe Biden and say, could you forgive this? It's a student loan. <laughs> and maybe that would work unless the Supreme Court says not. But you, you had a very interesting phrase, Liz. Mm. You said he'll be parted from the team. Mm. So does that suggest that indeed you believe that we have reached the point where the other owners will say enough with this guy? We've got to get rid of him by fiat. I would have told you up until a couple of days ago that would never ever happen. The league has never voted any co-owner out. They've never taken a vote. I mean, people have lost their teams for bankruptcies, for misbehavior, but those things are negotiated and arranged out of the public view. The league doesn't want any lawsuits. They're very um, buttoned up about how they resolve conflict. So I would say never in a million years would they actually take a vote. But I do believe in the minds of some owners, this latest demand um, is a bridge too far mm-hmm. uh, because they did do him a huge favor with unanimously approving the, the debt waiver on top of what you might interpret as a favor of never releasing the Beth Wilkinson report prior. Um, I mean, the league has, has accommodated him, as they do other owners, you know, uh, from time to time. In a lot of ways, but the debt waiver was a big deal, and uh, you know enabled him to resolve a potential lawsuit with his business partners to own now basically a hundred percent of the team. Yeah, um, it wasn't the favor. It seemed. I mean, it was a huge favor if, in fact, he got the financial house in order, paid it off, boom, and now he's sitting on a six billion dollar asset. But there's not a lot of sign that um, that that that's underway uh does he have i take it he has no support among the other owners i mean if jimmy ursay came out to slam him you would think that there's nobody that will come to his aid right well you know and it's not it's not a personal issue it's just as you know all 32 owners want to win and they want to make money and and but then it's a given. You're part of a socialist enterprise. You have to share very specific revenue. You have to keep the interest of the league in mind. You know, you're part of a collective, and the bulk of your money comes from the national TV deal. Yeah. It's, you haven't earned it. The league has earned it. So it's just 24 years, I think, of fatigue at, with – Dan Snyder doesn't seem to accept – um, this, whether it's reports of his withholding, uh, hiding revenue he's supposed to share with the owners, now threatening the owners and, you know, causing embarrassment to the owners. I mean, so much of his behavior is not, doesn't rise to the occasion of should we actually vote him out. But the, uh, that, I, there are some who are posing that question among themselves now. Is this, is it worth 
Hmm. And, and it could be just a big game of chicken. I mean, uh, yeah. Snyder is saying, I'm going to sue you if you don't give me this. And they're saying, well, maybe they'll say, we'll give you one of three of those, or we'll give you two of three of those. Maybe it still will be resolved. Um, and he will sell, get a big fat check, and and the league moves on. It, it's still yeah. be resolved that way. I certainly understand him not wanting to sell to Bezos, because Bezos owns the Washington Post, and he gets slammed in the Washington Post. I can't believe the league would consider Tillman Fertitta. He has completely ruined the Houston Rockets. And he's in the restaurant business. He's not, he doesn't have real money. And he doesn't really have real money. Maybe this guy Josh Harris has real money. But I'm wondering, you know, we're not, seasons end and then they begin again. We're not that far from the beginning of the, of the next season. Yeah. Do you have some sense of when you think he will actually be out? Because it doesn't look like it's going to be this coming season, does it? Well, it's, you know, my sense changes a couple times a day. Oh, okay. But um, the league's annual meeting is later this month. It's March 26th to 29th. And the finance committee will meet prior to that. And any movement on this particular team's ownership, whether that's uh, reviewing bids from buyers, you know, potential buyers or, you know, reviewing their finances, um, or, or do we, do we want to recommend this is irredeemable, we cannot fix this, we, we need to take a vote. Anyway, they will discuss the situation with the commanders, the finance committee. So, you know, super, super fast track miracle, maybe the end of this month, it's resolved. I, wow. I doubt that. I mean, I tend to be skeptical, especially, you could argue that, Snyder may as well just play out the string. And, um, you know, if he continues to hang on to the team another year or two, the one certainty is the value will go up. Uh, Another possibility is the league will change its ownership rules, which it has to do eventually because they're the most restrictive. Um, It includes that uh, one owner, the main owner, has to put down 30% of, of the purchase price. And if you're looking at $6 billion, that is 1.8 billion, and that's you can't just say here's my oil well worth that. You have to like cough it up. You have to yeah, give them the money. Give up 1.8 billion and not in twenties, not feel it. <laughs> and so, and you know that the key thing I'm not saying is you can't have private equity. You can't have um, a, a, an international fund. Uh, you know, a, like a Qatari Bank of Qatar come in. Um, and and help you cover all those costs. Like the NBA has allowed, all other pro sports teams are loosening these rules because the number of mega, mega billionaires who can write this check are are small. Um, Given the rate of appreciation, it's, it's way more complicated than selling a house. You know, you want lots of buyers if you're selling a house or lots of bidders. And the NFL... You know, you're going to run out of Walmart heirs and Bezos people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Who want yeah. actually want teams. All right. We all wait. We all wait, and we um, encourage you to continue reporting. I will talk soon. Thank you, Liz. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. Liz Clark, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Just picture the hammer on a giraffe that doesn't work, even though right now he's supposed to be going up and down. I can still see him slumping. <laughs> Boots reminds him every day. Bill Pitcher, Pennsylvania, on the organ. Fabulous. You want to do the Bethesda bagel ad? Yes, but that's... going to give Greg a bagel today. Yes, that's your prize. Very exciting. For, yeah. That's Chuck and Roxy prize. may not have a gift bag for you, but we've got a bagel for you. Oh, yeah. man. Chuck and Roxy, why won't they call me? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Bethesda Bagels, we love them, you will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you will be thrilled. That's about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, now, once I was downhearted, disappointment was my closest friend, but then you came, and he soon departed, and you know he never showed his face again. That's why your love keeps lifting me higher. Uh, this is Jackie Wilson, the great Jackie Wilson. Thanks to our guest today, Greg, Liz Clark. Thanks to our sponsors, MeUndies, Rocket Money. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you have the show on Apple, please leave us a review. Um, from Robert, Rob Gioeli, Gioeli, G-I-O-I-E-L-L-I, Gioeli, maybe, in Cincinnati. This Saturday, my parents will be gathering in Vero Beach, Florida to celebrate, my family will be gathering to celebrate my parents, Bill and Louise Gioeli. Oh, it's written here, Gioeli. Um, 50 years ago this month, the two of them eloped from their home in Long Island to get married in Albany, New York. This boy from Massapequa Park and girl from Freeport soon to camp for Washington, D.C., where my dad, who had done two tours in Vietnam, would enroll in Georgetown University, transferring from Nassau Community College. My mom had recently finished her degree at Adelphi University. I know where all these things are, and I know how to drive there from my house. I was born a few years later. Then came my brother Casey, sister Katie. About 10 years in D.C., we moved to Cincinnati, where my dad took a job with Xavier University. Bill and Louise spent more than three decades in the Queen City before retiring permanently to Florida a few years ago. Although my siblings and I consider Cincinnati our hometown, over the years your radio show and now your podcast has been a great reminder of Long Island and Washington, the places that my parents called home for almost half their lives, and that birthed our family. Thank you for a show that reminds us of the deep history of our lives and families in wonderful ways. This is a, um, this is a long one from Dave Morrow in Denver, Colorado. Many years ago when I lived in Cleveland Park, which is in a... a a neighborhood in Washington, yeah. D.C. My dentist was up your way at 4444 Connecticut Avenue Northwest in the 20008. Dr. Berg was a kind, gentle dentist who never made anyone feel bad about their teeth, a great man. He died too young, leaving as many patients to the dentist the family sold the practice to. And I add parenthetically, the guy was a butcher. The last time I went to the dental office after Dr. Berg had left the building, the lead hygienist, Ivy, still worked there. She said that grown men and women would come in for their appointments, high-powered people in government business and radio broadcasting, and would weep openly when they learned Dr. Berg was gone, like they had lost a family member. Yeah. You have a special bond of intimacy and trust with a good dentist. Unrelated, I'm finding a growing number of co-workers who are littles. I was visiting D.C. recently, having a drink with another salesperson, knowing little else about him. Fifteen minutes in the conversation, I asked if he was a little. How did you know that, he asked. I don't know. I told the sarcastic sports-adjacent middle-aged guy standing before me, I guess you fit the profile. <laughs> John Kaminsky, pretty good guy. Also worth mentioning my sales engineer, Eric Shirk, another solid little. Everyone now wonders why we flip each other off during team meetings. <laughs> so I, was th- I do think about this, about the dentist thing, because I've talked about Dino Majuli all the time. 
With doctors, it's different. You go to a doctor and it is routine for a doctor to say, see this other doctor. Yeah. You know, you got a problem on your foot, go see the foot guy. You got a problem in your arm, go see the arm guy. You, you know, all of those things. So there is a culture of doctoring that includes large amounts. But dentist, one guy. Dentist. Yeah. You have your dentist for 20, 30 years. Your dentist leaves or dies or whatever. You yeah. go, oh, my God, what do I do now? Right? right? Yeah, absolutely. Dentist. You know, dentist. And your acupuncturist, I'm sure, if I had one. <laughs> From Jim Cudahy in Locust Grove, Virginia. While living in Charlottesville about 20 years ago, I was standing in line when the man in front of me finished checking in and turned around. I found myself standing face-to-face with John Grisham. Yeah, that John Grisham. When I got home after the dentist, I told the woman to whom I'm related by marriage what happened. Let's just sh- say she was a little too enthralled by my encounter with Mr. Grisham. She promptly called the dentist and made an appointment for herself exactly six months later at the same time. <laughs> convinced Mr. Grisham would have done the same. Fast forward for six months and John Grisham was a no-show, foiling her plan to trade me in, and she's stuck with me. <laughs> From Kenny Lane, not Camp Kenny Lane, my Kenny Lane in Albany, New York. I feel like I might have had my first David Aldridge moment. While paying a bill at the vet yesterday, I looked up to see this poster, and I said, I know this game. And it's a poster of what will your pet eat? And it's all the terrible things, socks, underwear, pantyhose, rocks, balls, chew toys, corn cobs, bones, hair ties and ribbons, and sticks. Yeah. Okay. From Gary Mundy in Edgewater, Maryland. Primanti. Man, man, man. Every time man, not mon, 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 etc. Primanti brothers. Okay, I think I think we're good on so that. Primanti brothers. Okay. Yeah. Primanti, How good were it. the sandwiches? Oh, so good. You had them all the time, right? Oh, I ate them so much, and they're so thick. French fries and coleslaw. French fries, coleslaw, bacon, capicola, cheese, lettuce. Mm. It's like this giant thing. And I would pick it up, and I would be too scared if I thought if I put it down, it would all fall apart. So once <laughs> I picked it up, it. I never stopped holding <laughs> until done. it until I was done. I'm <laughs> leaning over with a straw to try to get some liquids, but I'm just holding on that thing like it's a life preserver, and I'm in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Ryan Dovell, Harrisonburg, Virginia, in the greater Appalachian area of Virginia, a pom-pom hat is commonly referred to as a toboggan. It wasn't until I went to college in Missouri that I found out the rest of the country uses toboggan as a euphemism for a sled. From Ward K in Vienna, who used to email us all the time. Yeah. Had a DA moment during the Wednesday mailbag. Terry Schoonover shared about his wife being in a play at Talking Horse Productions in Columbia, Missouri. I know that theater, even though I've never been there. They produced a play I wrote called Permission as part of their monologue series. The connective tissue of the show astounds. In the shameless self-promotion mode, I also need to say that at a theater in Falls Church, Virginia, we'll be performing another play that I wrote, Mr. Taken, at Nova Night Sky Theater the first two weekends in March. So that's coming up this weekend. It's a show that your audience will like because it's smart and funny. I'd love for any loyal littles to come and give me a hearty with cheeserie. From Sean Morrissey in Conshohocken. Is that how that's pronounced yep. in Pennsylvania? During Wednesday's show, you played a song from one of the many talented contributors who will be cruising the high seas with the likes of the Beach Boys and the Isley Brothers and the Temptations. This led you to question how many members of the Temps were still with us. I thought there was one. Just one. Yeah. My parents took my brother and I to see the Temptations at the Four Tops at the Palace Theater in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in 1997. Even then, I remember commenting to my dad, so we're going to be seeing the Temptations in the Three Tops? In December, I got an email from a local theater in the area promoting a holiday show with, you guessed it, The Temptation in the Four Tops. 
Curiosity took me down the Google machine rabbit hole. Here we are in 2023, down to just one remaining member for both iconic groups, including Temptations founder Otis Williams, which reminded me of my favorite David Ruffin quote from the 1998 made-for-TV movie The Temptations, in which a drug-induced Ruffin exclaims, Ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. (laughs) Yeah, because they came to see Eddie, and they came to see David, and that was it. From Dan Reichel of Limerick, Pennsylvania. Inspired by Michael's new grilling paraphernalia, I'm looking into getting an apron embroidered with my name and Chuck and Roxy episode number on it, 182. You can't get on, right? I can't get on. I don't know what it is. My my agent's been trying to get in touch with them. (laughs) Yeah. It's nuts. From Alexander Pop, love the darkest darkness quote today on PTI. That was the other week when Aaron Rodgers went into the triangle of sadness. (laughs) You know, Aaron Rodgers is holding us hostage. I mean, come on, stop. Ray Lynn, New York City. He told you Tuesday and it turned out to be Monday. Face it, old man. He's just not that into you. That was Carville. From Jamie Julian. As a lifelong Chiefs fan who grew up poor in rural Missouri, I've known heartbreak. I watched the Chiefs disappoint, underachieve, and choke in the playoffs for decades. The first Mahomes-Reed Super Bowl was cathartic, but this one is even better because it means that I never have to hear that dope Wilbon say a dynasty of one ever again. Can I apply to be the official Chiefs fan on the Tony Kornheiser show? I think I've earned it. P.S. I was number five with Chuck and Roxy. Wow. Being a chatterbride has its privileges. <laughs> I'm sitting here with Greg. He can't, <laughs> can't get on. From Michael and Cottage Grove. The howling game is the one. My border collie mix, Freddie, eats plenty of stupid stuff, but nothing so different it's worth writing about. But howling is where she shines. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage is a middle school band director, which meant we had a middle school, middle school band room in our house for virtual learning in 2020 and 2021. Freddie loves to sing along with the different reed instruments. With saxes, clarinets, and bassoons, it is funny, and the kids loved it. It isn't constant, and the cute factor outweighed any interruptions. Oboes, however, are different. He howls with them so consistently and loudly, loudly that I would have to come get him during oboe lessons, or she'd bring him into the office and lock him in with me. Eventually, I learned the lesson schedule, and a couple of days a week, I'd eat lunch and drag him in with me. We assumed the particular pitch of an oboe was why, but it was always odd how he had just a limited interest in the others and almost no interest in helping the brass instruments. There were always going to be a number of challenges with virtual band, but howling along with oboe, oboes wasn't on the original list. <laughs> no. And um, this is one I wanted to get to. This is Adam Benson in St. John's in Newfoundland. I can't participate in the game what my dog has eaten because I don't have a dog, but I was on the Loyal Littles podcast, episode 27 with Chuck and Roxy. I'm in the top 20, so I have that going for me. P.S. I have a cat. I'll keep you posted if he eats anything weird. You're not in the top 20. Top 30. Yeah, you're not in the top 20. The top 20 ends with 20. Yes. I mean, sports writers understand this. Yeah. You can't... Try to tell me you're in the top 20 at 27. You can say Adam, the top 20s. I mean, maybe, I maybe this is how it works in the Maritimes, but that's now how it works here. That's Frostburg math right yeah, there. That's right. If you're out on your bike time, everyone is always do wear white. I'm 70 and 40 publicly against the spread on Tony Kornhauser. Who is Tony? Tony Kornhauser. Who is that? It's a PTI guy on ESPN. Okay. Harry Melbourne, what's up, bro? <laughs> Could be sciatica, herniated disc, lumbago, Bertolotti syndrome. I can barely move. Glad I don't have any hair I'd have to comb. Well, it's a shooting pain, a sharp shooting pain. Call timeout. Pull me from.
from the game I'm doubled over, hobbled, lame It's a solo stove of flame But good leg went bad I never thought it would My good leg went bad Now I'm waiting for my bad leg to go good I'll try acupuncture, acupressure, chiropractic, laparoscopy Rough me, whatever you could But good leg went bad Now I'm waiting for my bad Take a drink. 